Hello and welcome to Riffs on Riffs, where we explore the collision of original and sample tracks and the artists who made them. I'm your host, Joe Watson, and I'm here with my co-host, Toby Braswell. What's up, Toe? Man, I just had a fantastic weekend. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So I went to a, a concert on Friday with my sister. Yeah. Right, and so before the concert actually got started, my sister's telling me this crazy story about something that happened to her. Ooh, lay down me. At work. Okay. So she walks into this meeting, and she sees her friend that she hasn't seen for like five years. At work. At work. Okay. She's like, oh my God, Susie, what's going on? Runs up to her, gives her a big old bear hug. Like, Susie, what's going on? How's the family doing? Right? And then she pulls away for a little bit, and the, and Susie says, "I'm not Susie. <laughs> I'm not Susie." And then my sister Dana's like, "Girl, Come stop on. playing. Yeah. Come on now, girl. Right. Susie, it, it's it's me. This is Dana. It's Dana. Oh, Come no. on now." She's like, "I'm not." Susie said, "Look, look. Pull out the driver's you license. Are, you need to prove it. We've known each other for years. Like this is this is ridiculous. And you got me here at work. Susie, stop playing. Right? She's like, I, "I'm not Susie. I have a twin." Oh, it's like, oh, wow. And, and then and my sister Dan is like, you know, thinking back, like, oh, yeah. Susie yeah, did say she had a friends. twin. <laughs> I remember she had a twin. Right. Dude, so for the entire weekend, my sister and I have been just looking at each other, like, looking at each other saying, like, Susie, stop playing. That. Susie, stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> that was the whole weekend, man. We That's had, why, you know, I'm surprised that happen, hasn't happened to us because we're kind of twins. Yeah, so oh, absolutely. It's, it's a little weird. People but. come up to me and say, hey, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Before we get started today, I do want to tell you a little bit about a new Evergreen podcast. And we need to show some love to our podcast network here. Man, I totally agree. Let's do it. All right. So it's a show called Then There's Cleveland. Man, is this the podcast that's about our city? Yes, sir. The beloved land? The rock and roll capital of the world. That's it. That's it. There's only one. The, the new home of OBJ and the Super Bowl-bound Browns. Yes. And I, like the way I don't you're know, thinking one of the best orchestras in the entire world. Oh, and fabulous arts and an amazing community. Yeah, that that's the show. Totally down with that, man. Totally down. And I know that I'm not alone, so please tell the good people where we can listen to that podcast. Well, they can listen to it right here. Right here on evergreenpodcast.com. The show is brought to you by the DCA, the Downtown Cleveland Alliance. So take a listen to Then There's Cleveland. It is live in the podcast interwebs universe galaxy. Man, I can't wait to do that. I'm suddenly going to spread the news. we got to take a listen to that podcast for sure. All right, so let's get back to this episode's featured song. Toby, what are we listening to today? We are listening to Lil Nas X crossover entitled Old Town Road. Man, let me tell you this. This is probably one episode where I actually had a ball doing okay. the research. Doing I mean, your homework. I like it. Just the videos alone from this uh, literally had me laughing, like on the ground rolling. <laughs> well, there is definitely a story here and actually a larger conversation about the classification of music into specific genres. But I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Totally agree. Let's hop in the DeLorean and find out what track was sampled to make this hit. Rewind. Certainly sounds familiar. I think we've been here before. <laughs> so, my friend, can you tell the good people what we are listening to? Absolutely. We are listening to Nine Inch Nails' 34 Ghosts 4 from their 2008 album, Ghosts 1 through 4. 
This album has been described by Nine Inch Nails frontman Trent Reznor as the soundtrack for a daydream. And that is a pretty dope uh, descriptor. Yeah, it, it you know? fits. And if you manage to get through all 36 tracks of mostly instrumental music in one sitting, you may need to uh, wake up from that dreamlike state. <laughs> That's true. That's a lot of music. Well, before you <laughs> zonk out on me, let's dive a little into the backstory and catalog of Nine Inch Nails. We will focus primarily on founder and songwriter Trent Reznor, because although he's worked over the years with numerous musicians, including English producer-musician Atticus Ross since 2000, Nine Inch Nails is still, by and large, Trent's creation. Trent Reznor was born on May 17, 1965, in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. He grew up playing the piano and skateboarding and was active in theater, including winning Best in Drama for his role as Harold Hill in The Music Man. The Music Man. Now, that is what we call, we should probably have some music right here, like, dun, 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 <laughs> foreshadowing, right? <laughs> so after graduation, he did a short stint studying computer engineering in college before moving to our home city of Cleveland. Cleveland. That's yeah. right. To begin his music career. Well, he took a job as a janitor and assistant engineer at Right Track Studio and received permission from studio owner Bart Coster to work on his demo during unused studio time. Well, that turned out to be a pretty good plan as the demo turned into Nine Inch Nails' 1989 debut album, Pretty Hate Machine. This album is certified triple platinum, selling over three million copies. Let's take a listen to a song from that album, Head Like a Hole. It's about to get heavy in here. It's heavy. Love it. Yeah, this album was was a staple at parties and bars during college years back in the day. Hearing this or like Terrible Lie, it always just kind of takes me back a little bit. But the liner notes on this album also list Prince, Jane's Addiction, and Public Enemy as having been sampled for the record. Jane's Addiction! I know. Ooh, These guys are good, too. I love that. But many of those samples have been distorted and changed to be unrecognizable. So after just one album, Reznor started feeling like he had lost creative control from his record label, TVT. It only took one album. One album, like, right? It. I lost control. <laughs> Can't control it no more. Who just pretty much just wanted them to make another Pretty Hate Machine mm -hmm. album, right? So, so Reznor started recording for a new album in secret. So he did not want the label to confiscate the new material, and that conflict eventually led to a deal with Jimmy Iovine and Interscope Records. That is an interesting story that we'll get into in a, in a second. But first, let's take a listen to the 1992 EP that Reznor and co-producer Flood were secretly working on, called Broken. This is the song Wish, which hit number seven on the Billboard 200 and eventually went platinum. Taking it back, for sure. So this track actually won a Grammy for Best Metal Performance. Yeah, that one kind of has me scratching my head. I don't really think of that song as metal, but then again, Tenacious D has won a Best Metal Grammy, so who knows? <laughs> True that. So we will definitely do some genre bending with this episode, but let's get back to Trent's work with Interscope. He was given leeway to form his own sort of vanity label within Interscope called Nothing Records. Nine Inch Nails was the most well-known of all the bands, but Nothing Records was also the first label to sign Marilyn Manson. 
You've got some other interesting connections to Nothing Records, right? I do, actually. Some personal ones. This is quickly turning into the Cleveland episode. (laughs) Nothing Records was operating out of a location in Tremont, which is a neighborhood here in Cleveland. They were upstairs in a building that I also happened to be working in around the same time called Lemco Hall. Okay. And I just left a gig, American Greetings. I took a job at a small design firm, and I heard some interesting stories from the owner about this wacky record company that was operating upstairs. So there's a decent chance that I crossed paths with staffers at the coffee shop across the street, but I don't think I ever ran into Mr. Reznor. I'm hoping I would have remembered that, but yeah, that neighborhood was was certainly a different place back in the day. Yeah. Speaking of back in the day, you know what the other storied history of Lemco Hall is, right? I do, sir. It's the stuff of filmmaking legend, but please... Share the dirt. (laughs) And share I will. Lemco Hall was the site for the filming of the epic and lengthy wedding scene that begins the 1978 war drama, The Deer Hunter. Now, have you ever seen that movie? I have not, actually, which is a travesty, given that it's a much-celebrated, nine-time nominated, five-time Oscar-winning Academy Award Best Picture film. This is the movie that featured Meryl Streep's breakout film role, landed De Niro another Oscar nomination, won Best Director and Best Picture, and even got Christopher Walken an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Christopher Walken? Like the Christopher Walken? (laughs) A.K.A. the Bruce Dickinson? The Bruce Dickinson, yes, sir. The one and the same. No no worries, though. He's just like us. He he puts (laughs) his pants on one leg at a time. Yeah, but except when his pants are on, he makes gold records. (laughs) Is it... Is it getting warm in here? I I have a fever. (laughs) Yes, sir. Guess what? I got a fever. (laughs) And the only prescription is more cowbell. (laughs) Sorry, I had to do it, Tom. Man, it is totally allowed. You're fine. You're absolutely fine. So just wait, folks. By the time we're done with this episode, we'll all be wearing gold-plated diapers. (laughs) All right, so let's connect the dots back to Trent Reznor. Perhaps the Lemco Hall mystique rubbed off on him because he's had a pretty good run doing movie soundtracks as well. Yeah, last we left off, he had just launched his own record sublabel and released the EP Broken. Around the same time, he was invited to produce the soundtrack for the Oliver Stone film Natural Born Killers. Yeah, and that led to a bevy of other accolades in the movie soundtrack realm. In 2010, Reznor and Atticus Ross collaborated for the score of The Social Network, David Fincher's movie about the founding of Facebook. They won the Oscar for Best Original Score for that one, and then they created the soundtrack for the film The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which won the Grammy for Best Score, Soundtrack for Visual Media. Let's hear the cover of Zeppelin's Immigrant Song from that soundtrack, which actually features Karen O oh of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Definitely got that Nine Inch Nails. Damn. Vibe to it. It's cool. So, you, so basically what you're trying to say is that he's kind of talented, right? He just kind of yeah, summed it up. He's a little talented, yeah. <laughs> so why ruin a good thing? In 2014, we have yet another Grammy-nominated soundtrack, this time from Finchner's film Gone Girl. And recently, Reznor and Ross also created the soundtrack for the Susan Beer film Bird Box, which began streaming on Netflix in December of 2018. Now, did you watch that film? I, I have not. I, oh, my God. I read the, sort of read the script, though. I, I used to do that back in college. I would read all the film scripts, and then I would never watch them. Okay. All right. So you're telling me you're weird. That's fine. That's no, fine. that's a true story. <laughs> yeah. 
It's all good. We love you still. Clearly, he is a multi-talented guy, but we are barely scratching the surface of Nine Inch Nails' record catalog. Circling back after the broken EP, Nine Inch Nails released their second full-length studio album, 1994's The Downward Spiral. This one debuted at number two on the Billboard 200 and has been certified quadruple platinum. Let's take a listen to one of those top hits from the album, Closer. Yeah, I do remember this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we, you know, we're obviously playing a sanitized version of that song, but <laughs> despite what the chorus seems to be referring to, the song is about self-hatred and obsession. And that actually that percussion is sampled from Iggy Pop's song Nightclubbing off his 1977 album, The Idiot. Let's take a listen to the original. So he just kind of took that bass drum and, and kind of oh, wow. grittied it up a little bit. It's pretty cool. I had no idea until, you know, because I always liked that intro to Closer. I was like, that's just a, that's a cool bass drum. So no, knowing it came from Iggy Pop, that kind of surprised me. Well, that's why we do the podcast, man. It's going to be, there's a lot of that. It's like one, at least one per episode. For right? sure. Another interesting, albeit twisted connection in all of this, the Downward Spiral was actually recorded at 10,050 Cielo Drive, which is the Tate house where mm. Sharon Tate mm. was actually murdered by the Manson family in 1969. So Reznor even renamed the studio there, Le Pig, after the phrase that was scrawled on the door and taste blood during the murders. Yes, is that is creepy, creepy and horrific. And weird. Yeah. Yeah. And we've already talked about the signing of Marilyn Manson to Reznor's Nothing Records, whose band name was actually made from the combination of Marilyn Monroe and Charles Manson. So while shock and controversy can certainly be used to generate publicity, it's a different thing when it hits home and becomes personal. Yeah, actually, Trent shares this story about an encounter that he had while recording The Downward Spiral. This is a quote. My awakening about all that stuff came from meeting Sharon Tate's sister. It was a random thing, just a brief encounter, and she said, Are you exploiting my sister's death by living in her house? And, you know, for the first time, the whole thing kind of slapped me in the face. I said, No, it's just sort of my own interest in American folklore. I'm in this place where a weird part of history occurred, but I guess it never really struck me before, but it did then. She lost her sister from a senseless, ignorant situation that I don't want to support. When she was talking to me, I realized for the first time, what if it was my sister? I thought, "Mm, screw Charles Manson. I don't want to be looked at this guy who supports serial killer BS. There's another sad and misunderstood connection to Nine Inch Nails and Tragedy. During the recording of The Downward Spiral, Risner was having some conflicts with bandmate Richard Patrick, who eventually left the group and formed the band Filter. Yeah, and Filter had a top 10 hit with the song Hey Man, Nice Shot in 1995. Let's give that one a listen. That's why I say hey man, nice shot. Shot, man. That's why I say hey man, nice shot. Good shot, man. Wow. This brings back a lot of memories because mm-hmm. I, I remember people, remember cats playing this in the, in the dorms. Oh yeah. <laughs> so many people interpreted this song as being one about the suicide of Kurt Cobain, but in fact, the song was written before Cobain's death and was actually about the public suicide of Pennsylvania State Treasurer Arba Dwyer. 
Ugh, okay, so well, it's a lot. Yeah, it's really heavy. Things right? got dark real quick, so I, I need a break. So this isn't the Cleveland episode, no, right? No, <laughs> Clearly, it's taking a bad turn. Um, so let, yeah, let's take a break. Just like uh, you know what, Nine Inch Nails took a break after the release of the Downward Spiral. I actually took about a five-year break before they released their next album, The Fragile, in 1999. So I pronounce it the Fragile. Oh, okay. well, <laughs> give it a little French twist. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. So, Fragile, 1999, actually contained the band's first Billboard Hot 100 charting hit, The Day the World Went Away. Let's listen to that. Starting to feel dark in here again. I'm starting, <laughs> starting to get a little depressed. Don't be fragile. <laughs> oh, okay. Fragile. So the day the world went away would be their highest charting hit, at least until we get to our first featured track, 34 Ghosts 4. You know, just hearing the sample, I would have never guessed that Nine Inch Nails was the one that did it. Right. I, I, would, I mean, it's very, very yeah. different. So this instrumental track should sound very familiar. While it didn't chart on its own, the album actually hit number 14 on the Billboard 200. And what's also interesting is that the entire album was actually released under the Creative Commons license. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It also made it easy for Little Nas X to use it for our next feature track, Old Town Road. But... Before we saddle up and take that journey, I want to take a listen to the genre-bending of country music icon Johnny Cash's cover of the Nine Inch Nails track, Hurt. This is a cover that has had a tremendous impact on many folks, including Trent Reznor himself. So let's first have a listen to the original version of Hurt by Nine Inch Nails. And now let's hear Johnny Cash's stripped down cover of the same song. And you could have it all. My empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you. I can't hear this without picturing the video for it, too. So though he was initially hesitant because he feared it might be too gimmicky, Trent had this to say once he saw the video of Johnny Cash's cover. I popped the video in, and wow, tears welling. 
silence, goosebumps. Wow, I feel like I just lost my girlfriend because that song isn't mine anymore. It really made me think about how powerful music is as a medium and art form. I wrote some words and music in my bedroom as a way of staying sane about a bleak and desperate place that I was in, totally isolated and alone. And somehow that winds up reinterpreted by a music legend from a radically different era, genre, and still retains sincerity and meaning. Different, but every bit as pure. Yeah, so Johnny Cash's cover of Hurt won the 2003 Country Music Association Award for Single of the Year. It was CMT's top video for that year. It won the Grammy for Best Short Form Music Video and also reached number three on the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart. So it's a genre-crossing hit that paved the way for our next featured track, Old Town Road and Little Nas X. You ready to mosey on over to that one, partner? Saddle up! Absolutely. So first, a little background. Before he was Little Nas X, he was Montero Lamar Hill and was born on April 9th, 1999 in Atlanta, Georgia. Man, I feel old. All right, so obviously we're, he's... We're the same age, Joe. He's pretty new <laughs> in the music scene, but uh, yeah. it's an interesting story about how Little Nas X ascended to popularity at such a young age. So it really is. He allegedly gained some fame through social media. He started a fan Twitter account called Nas Mirage, named after rappers Nicki Minaj and Nas. He posted several tweets that went viral and gained popularity and the attention of fans, and also the Twitter police, who actually shut the account down for violating the spam policy. Ah, so t- Twitter shut it down? That's good. So can we can we get Twitter to do something about these robocallers? Can we get that <laughs> shut down as well? So tell me about it. A month later, a new account called Nas Marai substituted the J for an I and posted several tweets meant to go viral, as well as some promoting little Nas X's music. So I noticed earlier you said allegedly in regards to his social media accounts. How come? Yeah, that's actually really interesting. So Little Nas X has denied his involvement with the account despite some evidence to the contrary. One piece of evidence includes a post on Hip Hop Head's website forum by Nas Mirage. That's so sta- before the name change. Yeah, before the name okay. change. Right, exactly. That stated the following. My new song mixes trap and country. What do y'all think? Hmm, that, that, that sounds like Old Town Road to me. <laughs> right, exactly. So other posts indicate that Little Nas X and Nas Mirage are the same. So I'm not really sure why he's denying it. Honestly, it's not that important for this episode, outside of the fact that if we are to believe that it is true, Little Nas X is no stranger to how to work the social media machine. And that is particularly important in this episode because that social savvy is what allowed Little Nas X to rise up the charts. He began uploading tracks to SoundCloud in 2018. Let's listen to one of them, and only actually a little piece of one of them, because most of it we can't play on the show. It's a track, including the title. It's a track called Sonic... <laughs> ish? Uh, ish. Yeah, there, there you go. go. Tell he's young. He's shopping at the mall, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So that's Sonic-ish. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he uploaded Old Town Road on December 3rd of 2018, and due to the Yeehaw Challenge... It went viral. Huh. So I, I don't know what this Yeehaw challenge is. Is that like a nod to that classic variety show, <laughs> Yeehaw? Does, do we have some Yeehaw honeys? Is that what we're getting to? Man, I only wish. So uh, <laughs> n- no, it, it's not, to answer your question. It's just kids videotaping themselves, drinking something called Yeehaw juice, and suddenly becoming a cowboy. I need to get me some of that. Yeah. It's need some cool. Yeehaw juice. Yeah, it does wonders for your wardrobe. <laughs> so I've watched several of them on the social media app called TikTok, and it's definitely a kid thing to do, but definitely, definitely entertaining. 
So Old Town Road blows up and debuts at number 83 on the Billboard Hot 100, number 36 on the R&B and hip-hop charts, and number 19 on the country songs chart. Well, that last rating caused a bit of controversy. Apparently, the powers that be in country didn't think that it contained enough of the elements to be considered country, and thus was taken off the chart. Well, first of all, I'm very curious to who exactly these powers that be are. Like, who gets to make these decisions? Regardless, Tobe, when you were a kid back in the day, or I don't know, even last week, <laughs> what, what happens when somebody tells you you can't do something? Well, it made me want to do that even more. Yeah, <laughs> I thought so. Well, <laughs> guess what? The public had a similar reaction, and soon the song reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. So give me your thoughts on this whole country music billboard situation. So I think it's a shame that this song wasn't considered country because it certainly sounds like it has all the elements to me. Yeah. So I need a, an explanation and a little bit of guidance in uh, regards to that. You know, that. When, when some people need guidance, they, they go to church. And that's exactly what I did, in a way. Okay, so I actually went to Ryan Upchurch, or who, what he's uh, actually okay, known I see as. what you did there. Is Upchurch. Yeah. Yeah. He's also known as a country rapper. Let's listen to a track called Country Cut Celebrity from Upchurch's 2018 release, Supernatural. Yes, that's what happens when you make a poor boy from the country a celebrity. I'm nobody special, I'm just like. A country cut celebrity. I'm nobody special, I'm just like. A country cut celebrity. Mm-hmm. I'm nobody special, mm-hmm. I'm just mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. A country cut celebrity. I still so, this album actually debuted at number 71 on the Billboard 200 chart in the U.S. It peaked at number 6 on the Top Country Albums chart and number 40 on the Top R&B Hip Hop Albums chart. Uh, okay, so... Hold on here. What, like, how is this different than the Little Nas track? Very curious indeed. So I'm of the opinion that this might have been a racial issue, but I would love to be wrong. Wait, because I'm assuming Upchurch is white or? He is of the Caucasian persuasion. And Little Nas <laughs> X is not. Not of the Caucasian persuasion. Uh, okay. So, so maybe the folks in the country business, you know, think that it takes more than just one song to be considered a country artist, right? So it, it, that would be, I guess, valid. Sure. Although I still think it's It still seems a little fishy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially since Little Nas X might not come out with another country song after Old Town Road. Well, all right. Whatever the reason, we have some good news. Other artists had an issue with the Billboard decision to take Little Nas X's song off of the country charts. In fact, country star Billy Ray Cyrus tweeted as much and then doubled down and jumped on the remix with Little Nas X. Yeah, let's take a listen to that. This is Old Town Road by Little Nas X featuring Billy Ray Cyrus. Hat down, cross town, living like a rock star, spend a lot of money He's got a cool voice, too. Definitely distinct, man. It, and it worked out perfect with yeah, this, right? Yeah, it really did. down Rodeo in my Maserati sports car. I tell you what, there's going to be more cats doing this. Absolutely. There's going to be more cats doing this. I mean, and if we think about it, we've got Nine Inch Nails, Billy Ray Cyrus, and Little Nas X. Like, <laughs> so many genres, so many different decades. It's, it's cool. Like, this is what music is now. It's a universal language, so why are we being so picky? Who cares? Know, if it's right? good, it's good, yep. right? So there's actually more good news to this whole story. So Columbia Records actually just signed Little Nas X to a record deal in March of this year. So there's a chance we'll be hearing more of him in the years to come. 
All right, so bigger picture. Do you think this union between hip-hop and country is going to last? Well, if we're being really honest about it, right, country rap has actually existed for years. That's true. So we have Scarface, Ghetto Boys, UGK, mm-hmm. and if we're being honest, like Outkast, you know, these are a lot of artists that have come from yeah, down tons south. Of people. Yeah, right. Right? Dirty South. That have, have been doing it. So both of these groups, all of these groups I just mentioned, are technically country rap groups that just didn't hit country charts. All right, so is that going to change? Are we going to get... Um, okay, first of all, country music is basically just pop music now anyway, but... I, I'd like to see more sort of charting on multiple charts. Yeah, I definitely think it is going to change. I mean, there, there's currently, you know, underground country rap groups that actually classify themselves as hip-hop. Hip-hop, huh? Yeah, hip-hop. <laughs> Say that five times fast. <laughs> Seriously, or don't. So uh, their term, not mine, these yeah. are groups that, you know, aren't necessarily charting now, but as time goes on, my guess is that no matter what you classify the music as, they're going to find a way to chart and show up on your boys' playlist. That is true. Yeah, I do think that the lines between musical styles are being blurred. Classifications are getting more difficult. New artists are drawing from such a rich and diverse set of influences. It's inevitable that we will continue to hear more of this. Okay, well, maybe others feel different, but this is one thing that I love about music. As it stands, I feel really confident in saying this. You know, hip-hop is probably the most influential music genre there's ever been. And that's a big statement that to is say. A, I, I, I got to take on bridge with that. But, but anyway, go ahead. So, and the reason why I'm saying that is because it, it, it's taken, it, if used as a template, you know, for almost every other genre of music that there is. Classic music, been mixed with hip-hop. You know, folk music, been mixed with, with hip-hop. Okay. Country, right. and no other genre can really boast that. You know, not a lot can boast that. Not as much as hip-hop. And the messages that have been, that are actually used in the template of hip-hop to yeah. actually express, you can say whatever you want. You know, and say as many words and actually accurately or more accurately describe what you really want to say. And that's the one thing about hip-hop. It is, you know, the amount of vocabulary that you can use to actually get across your message. You've made a good point, my friend. But I'm biased. You are. It's all right. It's all (laughs) good. Incredibly biased. I know this. Well, all right, let's talk about one more country rapper. So there's a guy named Bubba Sparks that had some success in the early 2000s. Ironically, he was also signed to Jimmy Iovine's uh, Interscope Records, just like Trent Reznor was back in the day. So Bubba's early work featured production from the likes of Timberland and Organized Noise. His first three albums actually hit the top 10 on the Billboard 200. So let's listen to Country Folks featuring Bubba Sparks, Colt Ford, and Danny Boone. Come on. If you see it in their eye when they try to lie, you the bullet hole in a stop sign kind, then I'm right there with you. Put your drinks up high for my country folk. Hey, my Sounds country like hip hop to me. <laughs> no, you ain't heard it. <laughs> hear that, you know I'm a modest man. Talking weird, Jimmy Mathers, and he got a plan. And when he talk, I listen to him. That's a lot of man. He said we need to take it. I do like Bubba, I ain't gonna lie. Yeah, it's all good. He's got a lot of talent. It, you know, it's interesting that his albums either charted on the rap or country charts, not both. Yeah. So I would You be, can't have them at the same time. That's, that's not cool. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I would be curious to see what would happen if an artist like Bubba came out now. You know, some transitions, you know, they take time, but I, I mean, I'm confident that it will happen. You're going to see more hip-hop and country collabs. Well, speaking of collaborations, remember we talked about Billy Ray Cyrus and his appearance on the remix of Old Town Road? Well, in a previous episode, the one on Mark Ronson, we also talked about having a mashup of Nothing Breaks Like a Heart featuring Miley Cyrus and her dad's breakout hit, 
Billy Ray Cyrus's achy, breaky heart. Okay, well, now you're teasing us now. I know. You're well, going to have to have some good news. I at the end decided of this. <laughs> to take matters into my own hands, my friend. Oh, okay. So you're, you're breaking hearts out now, no, right? No, okay. no. That's not, that's not what I do. But uh, <laughs> I did put together a little mashup section of these two songs for you, and it might be fun for our bonus material just to break down how it came together. Sounds fun. Let's give our listeners a little peek behind the production curtain and let's see how the sausage gets made. Oh, okay. I like it. <laughs> well, so the first thing, I know you've done this a lot before, Toe, but... Never made sausage. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I have not either. Well, the first thing to figure out when trying to put two songs together is the key and the tempo of each. So in this case, Nothing Breaks Like a Heart is about uh, 114 beats per minute. It's in the key of G. And Achy Breaky Heart is in the key of A. It's a little bit faster, about 120 beats per minute. But... That tempo also shifts throughout the song since it probably wasn't recorded with with a click track, so it just mm. kind of bounces, it kind of ebbs and flows in an organic fashion. So it probably makes sense to use the Miley track as the basis for everything since the tempo is constant throughout the whole song, you all right? You got it. So okay. the next fun part is finding segments of each that can be sliced and combined. Since I was working with finished songs, I was a lot more limited than if I had had the actual multi-tracks. Also, I was just trying to do this in a few hours and not spend weeks in the studio. So, you know, we just had a little bit of fun here. I'm really curious, man. What, what did you find? Any cool lyrical similarities at all? I did. But then, you know, as I started play, I kind of found that the verses and the song structure, they're actually pretty different. And so I abandoned trying to do anything too crazy. I settled in kind of a call and response overlay of the songs. So that achy breaky chorus has to be uh, featured pretty heavily, right? It's got to be prevalent yeah. throughout the whole thing. So first we just have a little tiny snippet. So for Billy Ray's vocals and that song in general, I had to pitch shift the key to match Miley because they're in different keys. So right. it makes for some interesting effects when you do that to audio. And here's just a little tiny snippet of Billy singing just the word breaky. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, like breaky. Yeah. Breaky. So, and then I wanted to use the full line, achy, breaky heart. So again, with some pitch shifting, some doubling, and some other fun with effects, we, we end up with just this little snippet. And then I also wanted to use the line, might blow up and kill this man, which he sings in the song. And, you know, I don't know, it's just, it's just used in this way. It gives it a moodier, unsettling vibe that fit more in line with nothing breaks like a heart. So I just kind of made this little piece. Sound like you've been talking to Resnick. Yeah, right? <laughs> I do think I was probably, you know, because I had all of that in my head when I was right, doing this. Right, right, right. So the other element I wanted to use was kind of the opposite. So the end chord of Achy Break Your Heart is just this, like, you know, it's this happy major chord. And Billy's like, he's like, woo! And so that little resolution just seemed at odds with the vibe of Nothing Breaks Like a Heart. So I, I tucked it into the middle of the mashup, and I also ended just this little minute blurb with that. So let's see how this all goes together. It's like I said, it's only about a minute, but hopefully you'll. Can enjoy I just it. say you put in a ton of work? Just ah, it's fun, you know. Yeah, that's how you know. That, that's how. Yeah, I, I haven't know. heard it yet either. <laughs> it, might, it might be terrible. terrible. <laughs> True story. Hit it. <laughs> It's breaking. Yeah, no, I, I see what you did. I like that. So the next time, yeah. 
we do something like this, I think we can find those isolated the tracks. The multi-tracks? Yeah. That would be fun. That would be a lot of fun. But you got all the harmonies in there. Oh, you yeah. You do a lot of... I could do a lot of... And then we're just going to end on this, like... It's like, that doesn't fit, but it kind of fits. It works. <laughs> it works. Yay! Jules is happy. All right. So, all right. We're out of time. Uh, what all did we cover in this episode? So our first feature track was 34 Ghost 4 by Nine Inch Nails. And our second feature track was Old Town Road by Little Nas X. So that means my son would be really happy listening to this okay, episode. Okay, nice. My God, he's been singing that song all over the living room. So then we heard a mashup of Nothing Breaks Like a Heart by Mark Ronson featuring Miley Cyrus and Achy Breaky Heart by Billy Ray Cyrus, all done by my man. <laughs> I just I just push buttons. Son of Watts over here. So, all right, what do we have lined up for our next episode? Well, speaking of hearts, we are going to take a look at different shapes of hearts and maybe some lucid dreaming. Wow. Okay, I'm going to bring my crayons. <laughs> please do that. Arts and crafts time. In the meantime, please connect with us on social. You can tweet the show at Riffs on Riffs Yo or find us on Instagram at Riffs on Riffs. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me at Haiku575, spelled H-E-I-K-U-575, and connect with Joe at Sono Watts, spelled S-O-N-O-W-A-T-S. Well, we definitely love hearing from our listeners. Tobe, do you know that, uh, that Billy Ray Cyrus did, first of all, he did a Spanish version of Achy Breaky Heart, which is cool, but, uh-huh. but uh, I have also seen video of him performing this song live on stage, with Bootsy Collins. Okay, three words. <laughs> Read my lips on this, all right? It's three words. Yeah. Susie, stop playing. <laughs> stop playing. This is a true story. You can Google this. Yeah, we're going to... Uh, okay, gonna, unfortunately, yeah. the audio was terrible, or I would have shared it, but I have <laughs> yeah. seen the video. Actually, Bootsy and Billy Ray are alleged to have collaborated on an EDM recording of Achy Breaky Heart, but... Sad, uh-huh. Sadly, I can't find it Stop anywhere. playing, Susie. Stop playing. <laughs> I swear to you, this is a true story. So listeners, if you have it, please, please send it to us. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm certainly going to need to hear. I need a recount. <laughs> I need to hear some proof or what have you. All right. Well, in the meantime, uh, we're going to circle back and make another connection. So actually, Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails was a big David Bowie fan. So in 2017, the song, the Bowie song, I Can't Give Everything Away, was remixed to include to feature Nine Inch Nails. So we're going to end with that, and we'll catch you next time on Riffs on Riffs. Keep listening. Thanks. Riffs on Riffs is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to executive producers, Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya. Producer, Julie Fink. And audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. You can listen to more episodes of Riffs on Riffs by finding us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. And don't forget, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review. It really helps. I'm your host, Joe Watson. And I'm Toby Braswell. Thank you for listening to Riffs on Riffs. Peace. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. 
Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.